0: What I hope we'll do this evening is just give you a little bit of insight into actually why Scotland's a good place to be at the moment in terms of motor neuron diseases. You could say nowhere's a good place to be, but Scotland's quite a good place to be. We've made a lot of progress in our understanding of the disease and our understanding of patients, which will ultimately lead us to more treatments. I really wish I could stand up this evening and say here's the new cure but I can't we've struggled all of us for many years what does all of us mean there's about two hundred diagnoses of motor neuron disease in Scotland each year there's at least two hundred separate scientists working on motor neuron disease in Scotland so that's pretty much one each it's not because the field's not trying. It's proven to be a very complicated set of diseases to understand. And if you look around the room, all the young people in the blue t-shirts are our current batch of PhD students, funded partly by the Scottish government, partly by the universities of Scotland, who are currently engaged in work to try to understand the disease. So just a group of them who were invited up this evening. Um, we've had an afternoon of research. So I want to start really. That was a preamble, about a little bit about what does a motor neuron disease mean. Now, if you look at my title, it says motor neuron diseases. That's on purpose, because motor neuron disease is not a single entity. It's a whole group of diseases which result in a similar set of conditions. So we tend to describe these conditions by what we see, and what do we see? Well, if you take what I'm doing at the moment, I am using my motor system in many ways. I'm talking to you, that's involving my motor neurons. I'm swallowing in between talking to you because my mouth's going dry because you're all staring at me. That's my motor system. I'm holding the microphone to my chest where I've been told, that's my motor system. I'm standing up straight, that's my motor system. If I walk forward, not too far, that's more of my motor system. What I'm saying is, everything you do that you just think is normal and just sort of happens, you don't think about walking, do you, much? You don't think much about speaking. You don't give a lot of thought to swallowing. You don't give a lot of thought about whether or not your right hand does what you want it to do. But these are all the things you lose with motor neuron disease. We lose the ability, slowly, sometimes rapidly, just to do the things that we think are normal. And that's part of the challenge. So why does that happen? Well, my exhibit A, this is your spine. I think if you run your hand down the back, your back, you'll find a lot of little spikes. You'll feel a bit like a stegosaurus, if you remember your dinosaur books. And that's feeling all the way down here. And these vertebrae, within them, is the spinal cord. So what's the spinal cord? The spinal cord is a long extension of your brain, really, that travels all the way down through here. And then these little yellow stumps are the nerves that pass out into the body. There are many types of nerves, some of them control how your stomach works, some of them control your heart's contraction, your blood vessels, they bring sensation into the body from the periphery, that means so you can feel things, so you know things are hot, you know things are cold, but primarily for us today, they control all these movements. So, signals come from the brain, to the cord, out of the nerves, to the muscles, just to make them contract. And that muscle contraction is what allows you to do everything. It's a simple activity, but you coordinate it sufficiently to be able to do all these tiny, little, careful tasks. And at the point when this is no longer as easy as it once was, Or my speaking isn't all it was. I do have a stammer, but that was on purpose. That's often the first sign we see. Many people start with a symptom, um, if you like, related to the mouth and the throat. Swallowing, speaking. Many people start with a small loss in the limbs. Not walking, starting to trip. Loss of strength. One of the people I know couldn't change gear on his mountain bike. Didn't have the strength he used to have in his, in his thumb, was the first thing he saw. Which as a symptom to your GP doesn't really seem like anything. Which is often why there's quite a long pathway between actually when the patient first thinks they have a problem, and maybe when the health service and primary and secondary care actually say, no, we're pretty certain you have. So when I say there are a range of motor neuron diseases, it's because clinically we've classified various different forms. So we can usually give the motor neuron disease a name, but unfortunately that subdivision and naming has not greatly helped us understand what the problems are. So we have a group of diseases that we can categorize, which we can talk about, which we can name, which have a common pathology, but possibly not a common cause or a common course. what do we do about that well one of the things we've done in scotland for the last few years and it's on your table is a thing called care mnd this has produced a registry of we hope every new patient diagnosis in scotland which means we actually know how many mnd sufferers there are in scotland at the moment the answer is just over 400 we know how many new diagnoses there are each year it's about 200 but that 400 is quite constant because so many of those patients have such a short lifespan after diagnosis. But we understand the population, we can collect information on the population and we can begin to try and understand what is the, the difference between rapidly progressing, slow progressing and different forms and that's what Liz will speak about uh, after me because that's her, her primary research project. I could add on to that a small uh, flag for something I particularly work on. As well as these adult forms of motor neuron disease, there is a very aggressive childhood form of motor neuron disease that you might not have heard of called spinal muscular atrophy. It's inherited. These children are diagnosed often six to eight months of age and their life expectancy is a year and a half. So extremely aggressive, it's inherited, it's something which I work on and very Amazingly really in the last five years we have ever treatment for this disease. It's fantastically expensive Uh, The second drug will be the most expensive drug ever licensed 2.1 million dollars For one shot. It's the most expensive drug ever Because it's a complicated disorder, but we have made progress in the childhood form So we still have hope for making more progress in the adult forms What else we do in Scotland well and well? Susan will speak about is is the range of clinical care nurses we have working out working throughout Scotland it's really unique in Scotland the level of patient care and the level of patient involvement and the work done by both MND Scotland the charity again uh, on your table and also the group where all of our students have come from today which is the Ewan Macdonald Centre for Motor Neuron Disease Research founded by Ewan McDonald, and his father, Ewan has motor neurone disease. He's one of the unusual ones. He's still with us 13 years after his diagnosis. He's done a huge amount of advocacy work, and his father and his family have raised a tremendous amount of money, which has allowed the, the centre to move from three or four people when I started to, well, there's already these 17 here, and I could have brought you another 50 probably. So have a huge amount of people working and trying to advance. I wish I could say I've got a something immediate to offer you. But what we have got is at least a pathway to get there because we know more about our patients, we know about more about what's happening to them, we know more about how many we've got. We're collecting more information about them, both while they're alive and also if they allow us in terms of samples um, after they've passed, which gives us a tremendous ability to leverage the basic work in the labs into something which will have an outcome later. And as I say when I'm interviewed by people, don't write cure anywhere because uh, all journalists want to write down cure. We haven't got one yet. We've got some poor therapies and we're trying to make some better ones, but at least we're moving forward. So I think that's a semi-optimistic view, but it's honest.
1: Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Dr. Liz Elliott, and I'm a Clinical Academic Research Fellow in Edinburgh, and I'm really happy to be here tonight to just provide an update, and overview, on the research that I've been carrying out in motor neuron disease over the last five months. And my position is funded by MND Scotland and also the Chief Scientist Office here in Scotland. And um, I'm very fortunate to be supervised by Dr. Jenna Gregory as my laboratory supervisor, and also Professor Siddharthan Chandran and Professor Colin Smith as well. And my research is focused on trying to investigate the the causes of variation in motor neurone disease. And I think everyone here um, acknowledges how variable motor neurone disease is because no two people experience the same symptoms. And we know that because, well it depends on the degree of whether upper or lower motor neurons are involved. Um, We know that some people um, at the, the start of the condition primarily affected by weakness of the muscles of speech and swallowing. And we know that other people may be affected by cognitive changes. Because now we understand that motor neuron disease and frontotemporal dementia exist on a spectrum Um, with one disease at either end. So there's a huge range of variation within motor neuron disease as a condition. And this is also uh, seen in the changes over time of these symptoms. So the progression of the the disease is highly variable. And this is reflected in the difference we see in disease durations. So while we know that in 10% of cases, the disease duration extends well beyond 10 years, and Stephen Hawking is an exceptional example of this. Um, What we really want to understand and what in this project we are focused on is understanding what's the underlying cause of such variation. And here in Scotland, we are very well positioned to do this now, and as mentioned, we have CareMND, which is a national electronic uh, database which captures detailed information from people with motor neuron disease who consent to be involved in research, which means we can capture this information over time. And so this is a unique and really important way that we can understand the variation of this disease. And we also are drawing on another resource, um, which is crucial for understanding of complex diseases like motor neuron disease. And, And that is the Edinburgh MRC Brain and Tissue Bank, which is part of a UK um, network of brain and tissue banks. Um, And as I said, these are crucial um, for us to be able to understand complex diseases. And it's only because people have made the ultimate donation, they have committed to donating the use of their tissue for medical research after death, that all of us can benefit by understanding these diseases and working towards treatments. Because if we can understand the differences amongst this disease and the cause of the variation, then we know what targets we need to aim at when we develop therapies. And so this is very much the focus of my project and over the last five months. And what we have done, we have used samples from the Edinburgh Brain Bank, and these samples were donated by people with motor neuron disease with varying disease durations and also by people who do not have any neurological condition. And so we have a comparison. And we've applied um, cutting-edge genetic profiling uh, technology to these uh, samples. And just a little bit about our approach. So while every cell in our body contains the blueprint for what makes us us, the instructions for what makes us us, um, that DNA consists of the genes, and each gene contains the instructions for a gene product, often a protein. And there's all sorts of complex machinery in between the DNA and the gene product, and all sorts of things can influence that machinery. And that's what we want to look at because that machinery can increase or decrease the levels of a protein, a gene product. And so that's what the technology allows us to look at, how increased or decreased those gene products are. And so we've run this over the last five months, and we've run this technology on 35 samples in total, roughly equal groups of the non-MND samples, and then looking at MND samples of short and long disease duration. And what we see overall in these preliminary results is that the difference between the motor neuron disease samples and also the normal samples is inflammation. So we see that all the genes involved in inflammation are upregulated, so they're increased. And when we look more closely and we compare the long disease duration group in the motor neuron disease samples to the non-motor neuron disease sample group Um, sorry, to the short disease duration group, we see again that inflammation is the overall difference, but it's a unique type of inflammation. And so those are our preliminary results, and where to next? So to move forward, we really want to understand in more detail um, what kind of inflammation we're seeing, because we know that there is good inflammation, which is helpful for our bodies, but we know that that can go wrong, And and so what we want to know now is what are those key genes doing? What kind of inflammation is occurring which could possibly explain the difference in disease duration and progression? And so we're moving on to look at that in more detail. And we also want to know if particular cell types are vulnerable or affected. And also we want to think about what's triggering this inflammation? What's causing it? And so over the next five months or so, we'll be pursuing those questions based on these results. So I'd just like to thank everyone, um, particularly people with motor neurone disease, who have committed to research and enabled work like this to be done. So thank you.
2: Good evening. Um, I'm Susan Stewart. I'm specialist nurse for motor neurone disease covering NHS Grampian area. I think it might be useful to, to talk a little bit about where we were in terms of nursing provision three or four years ago. There were five clinical specialists covering the whole of Scotland, so not even one nurse per health board area. You may be aware of a gentleman called Gordon Aikman, who was diagnosed with motor neurone disease at age 29, and he basically lobbied the government to say this is not good enough, we need more nurses um, and we need you to fund them and this is what happened. So in 2015 the number of nurses throughout Scotland were doubled, we now have 10 whole time equivalents um, covering Scotland. Um, I've been in post for three years, and I I have to say the changes that I've seen, even in those three years, are are phenomenal. I have to say that I am a small part of a very big team. Um, I have colleagues in the audience this evening. I've got Trish, um, who's our sleep NIV nurse, and I've got Caroline hiding at the background there, who's our senior charge nurse in the neurology ward. My role is very much to support families. Um, I see families at home. Um, Generally, it's easier for me to see families there. Um, But some some patients prefer to meet me at the hospital or sometimes even in a cafe. It's very much, um, I feel, person-led. I feel I'm in a very privileged role. Um, I I enter people's lives a very devastating time for them. And when I see people at diagnosis, people are are even then at very different stages. So I support people throughout their illness. I work with the whole family. Um, My role is to make ongoing clinical assessment, to be a point of contact for patients and families to pull in services as they're needed, and sometimes before they're needed. There's a really fine balance in MND between living day to day and being prepared for the future. And when I was speaking to my colleagues from the Hugh MacDonald Centre this afternoon, I think one of the most important things for me is that I have the opportunity as a senior nurse to develop really special relationships with my patients and I'm guided by them. I hope that I can give patients the information they need to make the decisions that are right for them. Not everybody wants the interventions that we can offer, and sometimes it's about supporting people to make really difficult decisions, to make decisions that perhaps their families um, want to make differently. So I am... as I've already said, feel that this is a really special role. Every day I learn from my patients. We feed into the Care MND database, um, and I think the information that we've got from that is really helping us to shape not just research, but the nursing care that we provide. Um, I, I think it's important to acknowledge you know some of the people that have come along tonight and earlier on a patient actually came in with me and told his story to to our colleagues from the centre. I don't know what it's like to live with MND but, but I feel very privileged to be part of people's lives.